You would turn in your Bibles to the uh, book of 2 Peter. We're going to conclude this series of lessons that we began at the beginning of this month based on this second epistle that Peter wrote. It's a follow-up letter to the first epistle that he wrote, but he addresses different subject matter in this particular one. And as we noted at the beginning of the series, it was a focus upon the true knowledge of Jesus. And that was important because of the environment in which the Christians lived at that time. Specifically, there were many false teachers. And those false teachers were teaching that which was contradictory to the, the gospel. In fact, they were denying the master who bought them. We see that in the second chapter. So we, we began with a focus upon the true knowledge of Jesus, and then we moved to the second lesson, which was beware of the false prophet. And we saw that in this particular letter, Paul writes in the second chapter to Note that there will be those who will introduce destructive heresies, those false prophets. Just like there were false prophets in the Old Testament time, there will be false teachers among them. And then last week, we did address those destructive heresies and the dangers of those destructive heresies. But this morning, we're going to be talking about and focusing upon the day of the Lord. You're going to see that as, a, as an emphasis here in, in this, uh, this third chapter. And we're going to be noticing not only that there is the certainty of the day of the Lord, and you're not going to be able to see this up here. Uh, you're going to be noticing that there is the certainty of the day of the Lord, but there's the certainty of the final judgment. And one thing that I would emphasize, and you'll notice in verse 10, we'll look at verse 10 and then we'll look at verse 12, and then we're going to go back and look at this verse by verse. But in verse 10, he states that the day of the Lord will come. And then in verse 12, he states that we are to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So the perspective of the child of God is not only that, that the judgment is certain, that is the day of the Lord, and that, that phrase is used throughout the scriptures in, in regard to judgment. In the Old Testament, you read through the books of prophecy, and you'll see that phrase, the day of the Lord. It's a reference to a judgment in time. Specifically, for example, there was a judgment that God brought against the northern kingdom of Israel. That was a judgment in time. There was a judgment that God brought against the southern kingdom of Judah. That was a judgment in time. But when we move to the New Testament, we see references to the day of the Lord and now we're thinking this is the last dispensation. So the judgment that is coming will be the final judgment. The day of the Lord in New Testament terminology is a reference to a judgment not in time, but a judgment at the end of time. So it is certain. But the interesting point as made by Peter in verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 3 is that for the child of God... We're to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Well, how can I 
anticipate and be eager about this as with the understanding that it's, it's the final judgment. Well, for the child of God, there will be no condemnation. It'll not be condemnation. It will be deliverance. It will be salvation. But let's begin reading at verse 1. And we're going to read down through verse 9. And our first point, if you're taking notes, will be the certainty of the final judgment. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter that I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Now, you remember when we studied the first chapter. In fact, we'll just go back and look at that verse. He made reference to reminders. In verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 1, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Verse 13, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Well, the reminder in this third chapter is the day of the Lord will come. They were being tempted to forget about that because of the mockers or the false teachers. This was another aspect of the false doctrine that was being propagated during the first century. But he was wanting to, to stir them up, verse 2, that they would remember the words spoke, spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior spoken by your apostles. Don't listen to the mockers. Don't listen to the false teachers. Whatever it is that's being said about the day of the Lord, you need to compare what it is that's being said with what has been spoken of by the prophets and by the apostles of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Know this first of all, verse 3, that in the last day, now let's, let's take a moment to address that, that, that phrase. In these last days, you remember when the author of the book of Hebrews began his letter in chapter 1, he said that in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. Whenever you see the phrase, in the last days, that was written 2,000 years ago. That doesn't mean that it's something that's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. That's a reference to this final dispensation of time in which we are now living. They lived in the last days. We live in the last days. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come. This, this was happening in their time. That's why he is warning them about it. Will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. So it was their desire for those things forbidden by God that made it easier for them to believe this teaching about the day of the Lord. They were asking the question in verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? Now notice the faulty logic. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, look around. Look around. Yeah, there's this teaching that the Lord is going to, to return, that there's going to be this judgment at the end of time, but we don't see any evidence of that. I mean, everything continues as it always has. Well, that was very faulty reasoning. But there were those who were listening to that. 
Verse 5, when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. God spoke creation into existence. By the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. God separated the waters. It escapes their notice. Then in verse 6, through which the world, that is through the water that God created, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So God has the power to destroy. God judged the world of Noah's day because of their wickedness. God has promised that there will be the day of the Lord just because things continue as they always have. That doesn't mitigate against that promise. We need to remind ourselves that God has judged time and time again in time. But by his word, verse 7, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. God's word created the earth. God's word will bring about the destruction of the earth. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Now, that doesn't mean that there's this mathematical formula and every time the Bible speaks of a day, we have to do a, a conversion and, and make that one day into a thousand years. It just simply means that time is not to God what time is to us. One day is like a thousand. We, we can wait and we can wait and we can wait. And it may seem like forever. But when you're the God of forever, that's not the way you think. The Lord is not slow about his promise. He's not tardy, as some count slowness. But is patient to you toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So there, number one, is the certainty of the final judgment. But why hasn't it happened? It's certain, but it has yet to take place. What does Peter write here? Peter writes, the only reason it hasn't happened yet is because God is patient. What is he waiting on? He wants everyone to be saved. Now, there's going to be the day of the Lord. It's going to come like a thief. But instead of us looking at this as God being late, God being tardy, God being slow concerning his promise, we need to see this for what it is. It's opportunity. It's opportunity for those who have yet to obey the gospel to do that very thing. If you're here this morning and you never obeyed the gospel, time is running out. Time has been running out and time will continue to run out. We don't know when the day of the Lord will take place. Only God knows. But it's coming. God is being patient because he wants all to be saved. Let's go to Romans chapter 2 for just a moment. 
Romans 2 and verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now think about what he's telling us here. Everything that God has done has been a manifestation, a demonstration of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, even this waiting, not sending Jesus back. It's all so that men will be saved. Now, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, the question that might be asked in your case then is this. Not only why are you waiting, but are you taking for granted the riches of God's kindness and his tolerance and his patience? Paul also wrote in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10 of the certainty of judgment, the certainty of the day of the Lord, and he expressed it as it's going to come and all are going to be judged. Romans 14 verse 10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Why has it hap not happened? We've already noted. God is waiting. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, I want you to make this personal. God is waiting for you. Think about that. The word of God has yet to be exercised so as to bring this final judgment because God's waiting on you. In Acts the 17th chapter, when Paul went and preached his sermon on, on uh, Mars Hill, he was teaching them about the false gods in comparison to the one true God. And then he stated in verse 30, as he was bringing his sermon to a close, Acts 17, verse 30, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Now God is waiting. He's waiting for repentance because, verse 31, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. That serves as evidence of God making promises, God keeping promises. That serves as evidence that Jesus was the Messiah of prophecy, that serves as, as proof that every claim God has ever, ever made is true. And now he's waiting for you to consider that evidence. He, he's waiting for you to consider what he has done for your behalf. He's being patient, but he wants you to be saved. If you've left the Lord, he wants you to come back. There is the certainty of the final judgment. The second thing we're going to note as we continue in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3 is that we must prepare now for the final judgment. We must prepare. We can't, we can't just keep kicking that can down the road. You know, it's so easy to say it's just not going to happen. And you know, I think all of us have that thought occasionally, don't we? I mean, I remember as a child, I used to really, I'd hear those fire and brimstone sermons and I would start thinking, well, the, the Lord's going to return. It used to scare me. I can remember having dreams. I had this one dream. It was a recurring dream. You ever have those recurring dreams? You know, you're falling. I used to have this one recurring dream. This is not the dream I'm, I'm talking about. I used to have this one. I was laying in bed, and, and there was fire all around me. 
and this robot would come and pick me up and throw me in the fire. Every time I share this, I, I, people give me strange look like, I never had those kind of dreams. I used to have this other dream, and I, I, I would look out my, the back window of our house, and there was this big open field. And this is the one that did have to do with those fire and brimstone sermons that I heard once a year when I went to church. But, but I, would, I would look out my back window, and I, in the field, crosses would be coming up, breaking up out of the ground, and then all of a sudden, fire was just breaking up everywhere. Again, that's not in the Bible. That was just my illusion. But I had this fear. But you know, you go on, you live life, and it's sort of like what these mockers were saying. Where is the promise of his coming? Life goes on. I'm 61 years old now, and it, it hasn't happened. It's kind of easy to, to find yourself in this, this rut of, of a false sense of security, thinking that I've got time. I've got time. I'll, I'll sow my wild oats, and then someday I'll become the model Christian that God wants me to be. Well, I think that's dangerous thinking, don't you? <laughs> the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come like a thief. Come like a thief. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. There's a question that's raised. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct in godliness? Well, if everything that is around me, everything physical, everything that maybe means a lot to me, someday it's going to be destroyed. What kind of person ought I, ought, ought I to be? I ought to be a person who lives my life in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that's accommodative language. He's not telling us here that God's going to destroy this world and then just create a new one. He's speaking of eternity. He's speaking of our place in eternity, our place in heaven. We need to prepare now. We need to prepare now for the final judgment. What sort, sort of person ought you to be? In this same letter in chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he tells us, and this is going to be addressing that godliness matter, he is, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I need to be a godly person. And God has given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. I don't have to wonder what that means. I have to study. I have to expose my mind to the teaching of Scripture. I have to learn about the true Jesus. And as I engage in that study, as I open my mind and my heart to the truth, all that God has given me pertaining to life and godliness is available. And as I engage in that process, I'm making preparation. I'm preparing myself. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter also wrote concerning holiness... 
First Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice here the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The unmerited favor, the salvation that will be yours because of what Jesus did, you need to be preparing for it. As obedient children, do not become conformed to the former lust, which were yours, in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. My preparation for the day of the Lord is to be godly. My preparation for the day of the Lord is to be holy. My preparation for the day of the Lord is to be such that I live my life with the understanding it can happen at any moment. And I need to always be ready for it. I need to always be prepared. I can't push it down the road to this magical moment in my life when everything's going to line up and suddenly I can serve God faithfully. I like the way Jesus express, expressed it in Luke chapter 12 and verse 35. Jesus said to his disciples, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come and he'll wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in third and finds them so blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. That's always intrigued me. Not only is he coming like a thief, he's not going to announce when he's coming. He's coming at a time I do not expect. Well, that kind of sheds some light on this concept of being dressed in readiness, doesn't it? If he's going to come when I do not expect, then I need to always be ready. I need to always be alert. I need to always be expecting this could be the day. Now, how many days? How many days do we get up and we tell ourselves this could be the day? But it could be, could This could be the day. We just don't know. And that's why we need to be ready. We need to be making preparation now. Don't wait. And then finally, our third point, be diligent, on guard, and keep growing. Be diligent, on guard, and keep growing. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him. In all peace, spotless, and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. 
It's your opportunity. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, is also in all his letters speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Be diligent. Be diligent. Peter began this letter with the concept of diligence. In verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1, by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the world, the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith. Add this, 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 those Christian virtues. And then in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 1, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Do you see diligence in your life? When it comes to this matter of salvation, this, this matter of being prepared for the certainty of the final judgment, you know, that sounds like something that ought to just cause a, a matter of urgency. Tell your teenager to get up in the morning. How do they respond? Sometimes it takes more than one get up, doesn't it? It gets a little bit frustrating sometimes. Get up! What is it about get up you don't understand? But now if the house is on fire, it's a different matter, isn't it? It's a different matter. There's a sense of urgency. Now we're going to be diligent. <laughs> That's why the Lord didn't tell us when he's going to come back. That's why he said, I'm going to come like a thief when you do not expect it. You just need to be dressed in readiness. You need to go to bed with your clothes on. Because you don't ever know when the house is going to be on fire. You ever think about that? Think about the house catching on fire or something happening. Makes you, makes you think about how you dress when you go to bed. Then he said to be on guard. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this be beforehand, be on your guard. And specifically here, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Those false teachers who are going to lead you to think that you can just eat, drink, and be merry, and how you live doesn't matter, once you're saved or always saved, that you are predestined to eternal life, don't listen to them. Those who would lead you to believe that this is something for old people, that is, I can be a disciple later in life, don't listen to them. You be on your guard. Those who are allowing the world to unsettle them, who are allowing the, the noise of, of, of life to distract, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Don't let that happen. And then the final thing he says here, be diligent, on guard, keep growing. Verse 18, but grow in the grace 
and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It's, it's interesting to consider that we, we speak often of this verse. Yeah, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We understand that. But you look at the context. That's important because of the certainty of the final judgment. That's how we prepare now for the final judgment. We grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this also. The latter part of that, the second word, knowledge, I, I, I get that. I, I'm to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. What does it mean to grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Have you ever thought about that? Grow in grace. Well, now, grace, that's, that's unmerited favor. That's, that's God to me. That's God giving me what I, I, I don't deserve. How do I, how do I grow in that? Go, go to the book of Ephesians and the second chapter. I want you to put some things together here that maybe you've not considered. In Ephesians, the second chapter and verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, and he's speaking of who we were before we became Christians and who we are now in Christ. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. As I learned that, I'm growing in the knowledge of my Lord and Savior. By grace, you have been saved. I'm not only growing in my knowledge of how I've been saved, but I'm growing in my knowledge of grace. The more I know about Jesus, the more I know Jesus, the more I see clearly his sacrifice against the backdrop of my sinfulness, the greater is my understanding and appreciation of his grace. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, look at it, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in the context, it's all about that final day. That final day of judgment when it's really going to bear meaning in my life. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, but we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them, and that's preparing for the Lord as well. Keep growing in your knowledge, bearing fruit, working, just making preparation for that final judgment, understanding that it is certain. If you're here today and you never obeyed the gospel, what have you learned? <laughs> what have you learned? 
you've learned, hopefully, that the only reason God has not sent His Son back, the only reason everything around us has not been obliterated in fire is because God's waiting on you. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. Love, long-sufferingness, patience, it doesn't get any better than that. And God wants you today to become a child of His. If you've been weak, if you've been living as one who b- believes once I'm saved, I'm always saved, or doesn't believe it, but lives it, then maybe today is your day to rekindle your commitment, to recommit with the understanding that I need to be ready. I need to be dressed in readiness. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, we're going to ask that you come forward, confess your faith, to repent of your sins, to be baptized, to have those sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. And when you come up, you'll be ready. When you come up from the waters of baptism, your soul will be spotless. You'll be ready. If you're subject to the call, please come as we stand and say. Oh, Lord, bow down with-